Hi there, this is Lincoln Alabaster of Evidence of Things Screen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I just want to make a couple of notes. First of all, is that this episode deals heavily with violence and with mental illness. So if those things are triggers, just beware of that. And secondly, you'll hear some wonderful music in the background. There was a sound check being done. So hopefully that's not too much of a distraction to you, but the music was beautiful. You may hear that in the background with today's guest, Annette Santiago España. So just letting you know that, sit back, listen to this episode. I think it's one of our better ones yet, and enjoy. You are listening to Evidence of Things Screened. I'm your host, Lincoln Alabaster. Today is part one of a show titled No Joke. My guest, Dr. Annette Santiago Espana, is here to deconstruct the billion-dollar behemoth known simply as Joker. So put on a happy face, because the next episode of Evidence of Things Screened starts now. Once again, this is Evidence of Things Screened, where we find out what we can learn about faith from some of the most acclaimed films of the past and present. I'm Lincoln Alabaster, and in the room with me today is Dr. Annette Santiago Espana, a clinical psychologist with over 20 years of experience with clinical psychology and dealing with all types of patients. Who better to help us to decipher the mental illness depicted in Joker but Annette? Welcome to the show. Thank you, Lincoln. And I know that you agreed to be on this podcast, but as I understand, Joker wasn't a film that you were initially intent on seeing. So other than your husband, Alex, who volunteered you for this, what led to your decision to do this episode? Hmm. Well, this is true. Uh, the Joker film was definitely not at the top of my list in terms of movies that I wanted to see. And I think the reason for that is because when I first saw the trailer, it's clear that it was a very dark film. Yes. Uh, it was um, one that was filled with a lot of violence that I could see from the trailer. Correct. And, um, and that's not necessarily my kind of film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I prefer, I'm a romantic comedy kind of girl, so uh, you can put Steve magnolias or mm. beaches or bridges of madison county in front of me and i will watch that a million times <laughs> so this is very far from that and yes. i appreciate you stepping outside of of your most favored genre to yes. to come over on this side the dark side mm -hmm. of joker so i appreciate that yeah I, you know, I can add to that, and I just want to say that the reason, to answer your question, the reason why I decided to actually um, participate and actually do this is because I did actually see this as an opportunity to talk about a topic that is close to my heart, which is that of serving uh, individuals with mental health uh, challenges. And so... Um, while the movie wasn't necessarily one that I was interested in seeing, that mm -hmm. I felt like I was willing to take that leap to see what it was really about and perhaps how we can connect it to faith and, and, um, and talk openly about our feelings about um, connecting with people who struggle with a wide range of mental health concerns. Absolutely. Thank you again so much for that. Uh, we absolutely you know, for this podcast, hope to provide some sort of insight and and help to those who are either struggling with mental health issues or know someone who is. And I think that may encapsulate all of us when we really boil it down. So with the possible exception of Avengers Endgame, which was also covered on this podcast, Joker captured the cultural conversation more than any other film in 2019. And what surprised me about Joker is that it did so for a fraction of the budget of Avengers with fewer stars and darker themes and an R rating. 
So as usual, we'll discuss the film over three segments, which for this episode I've named Beat Up, Worn Out, and Breakdown. And so we'll begin with Beat Up. And by the way, we'll reveal all the plot twists in this film. So anyone who's listening, hopefully you've seen Joker, because we're going to spoil it for you. (laughs) So Joker was released in the U.S. on October 4th, 2019. And the film was written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver and directed by Todd Phillips. Stars Joaquin Phoenix, Zazie Beetz, Francis Conroy, and Robert De Niro. It was an immediate box office smash. It grossed over $96 million on its first weekend. And it's made over a billion dollars worldwide. And I think it was the first R-rated film to do that. And it's been critically acclaimed and heavily criticized. But universally compared to its dark and gritty cinematic antecedents, Taxi Driver, which starred Robert De Niro, who's also in this film, and King of Comedy, which also stars Robert De Niro. So the Academy Awards, Joker was nominated for a handful, and um, it won for Best Actor, Joaquin Phoenix, and I think it was well-deserved. I don't know what what are your thoughts on Oh, I was really I'm a big fan actually of Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. Um he uh but in this film I was really just blown away by his ability to not only just completely immerse himself in Arthur's the role of Arthur, um, not only physically in his appearance, right. but also just in how he really was able to um, portray uh, really the inner world of Arthur's mind. I think in a way that was really impressive. I agree. I agree. What a, what a fantastic job, mm-hmm. really. Um, and this is, for me growing up, uh, Jack Nicholson was the Joker. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so I every, I guess, 10 years or so, it seems like someone else comes along and reinvents the Joker. Yeah. Because when Heath Ledger was announced to play the Joker in The Dark Knight, I sort of dismissed it like, oh, yeah. please, Jack Nicholson is the man. There's no one that can step right. into that role. And, and then Heath Ledger um, just totally redefined it and I was like okay this is the standard now and uh, you know unfortunately he passed away so we didn't get to see any future performances from him Mm -hmm. but now when Joaquin Phoenix was announced I was like really you know Heath Ledger was the man so Mm -hmm. leave that alone and then once again you know redefined Joker and Arthur Fleck and just this whole um, you know performance was just Extraordinary. Yeah, I actually heard that Heath Ledger was one of Joaquin's mentors. Uh, and, wow! And he admired his work, and they were friends. And um, I heard that that was one of at least one of the reasons why he even considered this role. That's incredible! Yeah. yeah. Wow! Wow! Um, just amazing actors who who have tackled this role, and and two of them winning the Oscar for it. So. Um, so, Joker, it's a film that's based on DC Comics character, The Joker, which is a villain in the Batman comic books. But I feel like to call this a comic book film or a superhero film, it wouldn't only be unfairly reductive, but also egregiously incorrect. It's set in a fictional, crime-ridden, impoverished, garbage-saturated Gotham City, which is really just a stand-in for New York City. And so it's set in the early 1980s. And it's about Arthur Fleck, as you mentioned, who's played Mm -hmm. by Joaquin Phoenix, a struggling stand-up comic who lives with his elderly mother and earns money as a clown for hire. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We first meet Arthur as he's applying clown makeup for a gig that requires him to hold up an advertising sign on a busy sidewalk. And what we see here is essentially a microcosm of the film, Arthur becoming Joker. Anyhow, this group of teenagers, once he's outside, they steal and destroy his sign, and then they kick him relentlessly when he dares to chase them down. And they leave him on the ground, just huddling in the fetal position. After that, we see him um, 
depending on social service workers in the city to receive medication for a mental disorder that causes him to laugh at inappropriate times. And it's largely because of this condition that he's ostracized by the people around him. He hasn't formed any strong relationships outside of his mom. And even when trying to make a child laugh on the bus, as we see, he's angrily rebuked by that child's mom. So Annette, from the beginning, the film establishes this fact that Arthur is mistreated or ignored by just about everyone he encounters. So how did these early scenes shape your opinion about him, for better or for worse? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think at this point in the film, we don't necessarily, we can't necessarily see the extent to Mm -hmm. which he struggles with mental illness. But we do know that he's someone who has sought services. And like many of us in our society, he's just trying to, like, hold a job and do his job and earn a living like many of us and yet for me immediately i was sucked into the film because it was just so symbolic of how our society has just become it's sad to say but you know when i see scenes like this it just goes to show how we have just become so um, we we like trust in other people. We right. immediately, based on what we see, um, experience fear or retaliate um, without even really giving others the opportunity to let us see who they really are. Like when he was, you know, laughing and carrying on and making fa- you know funny facial expressions to that child who was actually. Yes kind of figuring him out but enjoying him at the same time and the mother just lashed out at him and you know and and it's instances like that that we really don't recognize the mm-hmm. larger impact that it has on people and our young people these teenagers who you know the the disrespect is real right. and you know and they knew they would be able to get away with mistreating him and beating him up but you know there's just really something really missing in our society that just gets in the way of our ability to really treat people with respect and kindness yeah especially people that don't fit a certain look absolutely right so that each one of these things isolated well the beating up by the team that that is a big deal but maybe the mother and the bus it doesn't seem like such a big thing but when you add it up with all of these other right um you know mistreatments yeah, over it, and over and yeah. over again. Yeah, it wears you down. And imagine it wears anyone who is mentally stable and healthy and well and resourced. Imagine someone who doesn't have all of that. Even the the worker, the city social worker, he felt she wasn't really listening to him either. That's so you right. have someone who is paid to do this That's right. and this is what they are are caused to do they've chosen to do this and yet they're still sort of tuning out yeah and so that has to feel you know put you to a point of despair as we can see for arthur yeah i mean that scene with the social worker really made was a sad one for me a sad point because um, i often tell individuals that when they're meeting with either social workers or or mental health providers that if you don't feel like you're being heard Mm -hmm move on like it's okay to do that it's not like you have to settle for a relationship that does not feel helpful or fulfilling but you know for individuals who don't have the resources or have limited options or no insurance or you know it's a lot harder to make those kinds of choices and maybe that was the only option that he had and so to know that he wasn't being heard and he was really putting himself out there right and as someone who struggles with a mental health condition they're already feeling anxious and perhaps embarrassed or Uh, you know, a little discouraged by the system, and yet he was still putting himself out there, and then you can tell he just wasn't being heard. Yeah, that is tragic. Mm -hmm. It is, and you shudder to think about how many people like him are out there. Yes, yeah. Because the city social workers, I'm sure many of them, and most of them do a great job, but I think there, there may also be the potential of just being overloaded just because of the the lack of funding in the city and right. for, for these types of resources. And so 
they may themselves be overwhelmed and not able to give the, the same level of care or concern to each person that comes through the door. Right, which is why all of us, and we'll, I know that we'll talk about this later, but which is why all of us have an important role in right. supporting individuals with mental health concerns. Because perhaps if someone isn't getting their needs met by their social worker, that mm -hmm. perhaps they can get support through their church community or through their family or other forms of support. Great point. Great mm -hmm. point. So this condition that Arthur has is based on a real-life condition called pseudobulbar effect, PBA, where a person's emotional displays are involuntarily disconnected from their actual emotional state. Other than medication, is there a proper way to treat or handle this disorder? Yeah, so, you know, PBA is, is actually a condition that often develops from some form of neurological condition or some form of brain injury. Mm -hmm. And so while there's no cure for uh, BPA, that there is treatment that is available. And the purpose or the goal of treatment, other than medication, mm -hmm. um, is to really help the individual cope better in society because with these emotional outbursts whether it's the 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 loud laughing like the joker like right. arthur or the uncontrollable crying um that fear that appears to not that doesn't seem to fit with what's going on you right. know in that moment which can seem uh, insensitive exactly that you know it's it can be incredibly isolating embarrassing shameful and people shun people you know when they observe this kind of behavior and so treatment can focus on helping the individual cope when they're putting themselves out there in society mm. in their relationships and treatment can uh, involve helping them be better communicators of their condition um, really communicating what it is that is happening to them so that others around them can have a better understanding and be more sensitive treatment can involve helping them communicate what they're needing from mm -hmm. people in their circle um, and also there are um, BPA is something that can be triggered uh, in in situations, and so helping these individuals um, learn how they can distract themselves, mm -hmm. um, learn healthy coping strategies to help them in the moment, like deep breathing exercises or counting counting the number of apps on your telephone as a way of distracting themselves from their own behavior, whether that's the laughing or the crying. So those are just some examples right. of ways in which someone can really get support and and um, and live as fully as possible. Oh, well, that's encouraging to know mm -hmm. that those are treatments that are available, which obviously Arthur didn't get, otherwise we wouldn't right. have the film that we that's we right. have. But it is it is encouraging in the real world to know that if anyone is suffering from um, PBA, that not all hope is lost. That's right. That's right. Now, last year, Annette, you preached a sermon on the importance of community. Mm-hmm. And it was based on the Bible verse in Acts 2.42 that says the early Christian church coalesced around four practices. First, the disciples' teaching of scriptures. Two, fellowship. Three, the breaking of bread, eating together. And four, prayer. And we don't know if the early church had any members suffering mental illness, but that is our reality today in the 21st century. So how, if at all, should the church cultivate a community that includes people whose mental illnesses may make others uncomfortable. You know, um, there were definitely people who were struggling when, with mental health <laughs> concerns yeah. way back when, as there are now. I mean, uh, in, our, in America today, I think the numbers, what they've said is that about one in five individuals actually struggle with some form of a mental health disorder wow. of some sort and that's about 40 million people in our country here in the u.s and that's a lot of people yes. and that means that no matter where you are one in five people 
perhaps it's your colleague at work or the person who's sitting you know down the pew uh, in your church community the person who's in line at the supermarket in front of you that there are people all around us who struggle with mental health concerns but the good news is that our church community or Christians in general, people in general, I should say, we have a fine opportunity to, to um, make life um, a lot easier for people who struggle with mental health concerns. I think, you know, with my sermon, we just talked about just the simplest uh, of gestures that mm-hmm. demonstrate compassion and love and support, like just telling someone, I'm going to be praying for you. Or if they notice something that might be a little different from what they've ever seen before, to sit down with you and to say, hey, what's going on with you? And tell me, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can tell me a little bit more, how can I be here for you? Or offering someone a meal, you know, or I mean, there are just so many, the smallest of ways in which a community can come together to be of support to educate ourselves, to take the time to listen to people's struggles with mental health concerns and to really have a better understanding because then when we have an understanding, then we're in a better position to support Mm -hmm. other people, to have a better sense of what they may be needing for us and we could be more proactive in being there for them. Yes, I think one thing that you mentioned, it sounds so simple, but listening and taking that time to really engage. Yeah. How are you doing? We see in the film that the social worker, she was not engaged. No. And mm-hmm. so she was hearing what he said, but she wasn't really listening to him. Right. And something as simple as that, putting away your phone and really making eye contact and saying, how are you really? Mm-hmm. And showing that you actually care about the answer that is coming to you from that person. It sounds so simple, but... Wow, it goes a long way. And when we see people who are different from ourselves, Mm -hmm. it causes a little bit of anxiety. Yes. You know? And what's underneath, what's rooted in anxiety is the uncertainty of a situation. Right. And so the best way to overcome any discomfort that you might be feeling in the presence of someone who might be behaving in a way that's different from something that you're accustomed to seeing Mm -hmm. is by getting to know them. You know, is by is by doing those things. It's by um, having a better understanding because then the anxiety goes down because mm-hmm. then you know what you're dealing with. Right. You know. Right. And these preconceived notions of what you might have thought is going on with an individual might not have been correct at all. Yes, and even just I think one other thing you mentioned was um, may, may I pray for you about something. Right. in your life and that's another way as you know in the church as a Christian to engage as well is there something that you'd like me to pray for you yeah. about yeah and, and it's a reminder that if I'm praying for you it yeah. means that there's someone bigger than us right. who is at work you know who can be there for you and it's also saying you're not alone because you've got me to pray for you it goes a long way mm-hmm. a long way because I know when People have told me that they're praying for me. That that makes me feel a certain way. I Absolutely. Feel like, oh, okay. This person is is actually taking time to lift my name up in prayer, and there's something about that that feels comforting. Mm-hmm. And uh, and why shouldn't everyone who comes into the church have that same feeling? Right. Especially yeah. people who are struggling mentally. That's right. So back to this film. Um, Arthur, as we mentioned, he lives with his mother, Penny. He has kind of a creepily close bond with her. And so they finish their day together by watching a little late night talk show hosted by a comedian, Murray Franklin, played by De Niro. I thought did a great job. Yes. He was great, as he always is. One time during this nightly ritual, though, Arthur's mind wanders and he imagines himself as an audience member being recognized and affirmed by Murray for caring for his mother. And we learn that Penny has written letters to the billionaire Thomas Wayne for some financial assistance based on the fact that she used to work for him. And he hasn't helped out to this point. So all this we find out through this sort of um, daydream 
that Arthur's having. And in his apartment building, Arthur encounters a single mother named Sophie, who's played by Zazie Beetz. And she's on the elevator. She's nice to him. And so immediately he's drawn to her. And he spends an entire day following her, which is highly unadvisable for anyone who's interested (laughs) in someone. When she asks him later if he was following her, he does admit to it. And then he asks her to come see him perform uh, some new material at a comedy club. And surprisingly, she agrees to go. So Arthur is painfully unfunny, but she's laughing, Sophie, very encouragingly. And even though Arthur has gone about this in a totally wrong way, it seems that he's found someone who understands him. So, Annette, it seemed to me, at least initially, that Arthur has some dangerously obsessive tendencies. But then I thought it could be that he simply craves human attention and latches on to anyone who gives it to him. So could you help us pack, unpack what's going on here in terms of Arthur's behavior? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously at this point we also see that Arthur lives a relatively isolated life, right? Yes. He spends a lot of time, you know, he goes to work, he does his thing, and he comes home and he takes care of his mother, and then they sit on the bed together and they watch TV together, and it seems like this is like a routine right. that they have. It's not like... Arthur's, you know, getting on the phone and saying, hey, what's going on? Or calling this friend or that friend or meeting this person for dinner. It's a relatively isolated life. And what's interesting is that then he encounters Sophie and her daughter in the elevator Mm -hmm. and has a very pleasant encounter with her. And she's polite, you know, to him and develops this very positive association with her. And so one can see his behavior following her. Yes, it is unusual and highly discouraged. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he's curious about her and desires to have a closer relationship with her. And then, you know, it's interesting that um, when she confronted him about, oh, are you following me? And then he invites her to the comedy, comedy show and she agrees. At this point... I have to say, I wasn't, I was falling for it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because I think it's important for people to understand that people with BPA, for example, Mm -hmm. do have healthy relationships with others. You know, we don't know yet what's happening with, with Arthur, right? you know, but BPA alone, people have healthy relationships with others, especially, Mm -hmm. and they have a support system of people. And Mm -hmm. so, and then there are some people who have have that kind of heart, and maybe there was something about Arthur that was intriguing to her, and she decided to support him, you know, and there are a lot of us who are like that. And so I don't know that that was necessarily unusual. I mean, certainly there were question marks, and I'm wondering, really? Like, that's what me. was it? What was it about <laughs> Arthur? That, really? Did she agree? You that know, was after me. he it seemed that he was kind of stalking her, you know? Yes. And and all of the and then after a while we're seeing that they're spending a lot of time together and right. Sophie is going to the hospital and visiting, you know, his mother when she falls ill or has a stroke. Um uh, but um and then Yeah. <laughs> We'll we'll talk about we'll, we'll get we'll there. Talk Am I going ahead? Yeah. I'm getting ahead. Yeah, yeah. We'll, anyway, we'll talk about that. But I, yes, that nearly took yeah. me out of the movie because I'm trying to put myself in her yes. mm-hmm. shoes, and and I'm right with you. Like, what what exactly did she see? In right. Him? So that nearly took me out of what the movie. What is she thinking? Mm-hmm. Right. But mm-hmm. I I went with it. I went with it. Yeah. So. <laughs> According to Genesis two eighteen, after God made Adam. He looked at him and said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, mind you, Adam had all the pets in the world. And far better than that, Adam had God. So the Bible is telling us something about how God designed us to be relationship in relationship with other human beings. That's the ideal. But so many people are desperately lonely, as you mentioned, Arthur living in isolation for the most part, despite seeking out relationships. So how can we reconcile this fact that God created us for community, yet he allows people to suffer neglect? Mm, I think that's if 
you sort of view it as God allowing people to suffer. Mm. I, I don't necessarily see it in that way. Okay. You know, because I believe that um, all of the the sinful behavior and the, uh, the state of our world right now is a result of a fallen world. Mm. You know, and this was not God's intention. You know, he does not want us to suffer. He doesn't want survivors of abuse or traumatic experiences to experience the pain, the isolation, the, you know, the hurt, the, the loneliness um, that they experience. And, um, and that's not uh, his ultimate goal for them. That's right. not his final wish for them. Instead, God wants a different lifestyle for us, filled with love and fulfillment and, and all good things. Yes. And so, um, you know, so I, I, I believe, I don't believe that that was, um, that he's allowing all of that to happen. Okay. But I think, nevertheless, I think that, you know, some people who do experience, um, a lot of pain and suffering due to things like abuse or trauma, um, you know, kind of doubt that right. he's there and, and that's understandable. And, um, but I believe that our situation right now is only temporary and that God in, in the Bible promises that ultimately there's a gift of salvation, right, in our future. You know, and um, and so to keep our eye on that, right. I think, is something that would be important to hold on to, especially for people who are hurting uh, in that way. Yeah. No, thank you for that. For me, sin exists mm -hmm. and that's the unfortunate fact, but it does exist. And so yeah. because sin exists, there are a number a number of undesirable conditions that are contrary to God's initial plan That's right. that exist as well. That's right. And so mm -hmm. God obviously meant for us to be in communication with each other, but because of sin, that's not always the case. And because God's given us a freedom of choice, it right. unfortunately means that mm -hmm. people have the choice to ignore and neglect others. And that that's a sad reality that sometimes People use their their free will to mistreat others right. in various ways. Again, you know, if God forced everyone to to be in communication, then he would be accused of being a tyrant because we don't have choice. And so it's like either way, he can't win if you're going to look at it through a cynical eye. Right. We either have the choice and some people choose to do things that are are wrong or we don't have a choice and then God gets blamed because we're all robots. Right. So, and then finally, as you mentioned, like God, um, he provides through the Bible, like promises of comfort. That's right. That he will comfort us and he will also provide people through the church. That's exactly right. I, that's to exact. comfort us as that's well. Right. And that's it's right. even talked about um, the apostle Paul in, oh, I think it's, Corinthians, maybe Second Corinthians, or one of those um, books that Paul wrote, that he says that we should be comforting others with yes. the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So that is actually a directive for anyone who is following Christ that we would come alongside and comfort one another. So really, from God's perspective, if we're doing what we've been tasked to do, mm -hmm. no one should be suffering mm -hmm. from. Um, uh, loneliness because yeah. the church is out there. Yeah. I've also found that a lot of people who experience hopelessness are people who don't, who believe this is it, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we have knowledge, you know, in our possession that this isn't it. Right. This isn't the end all. This isn't, you know, all that there is for you. Right. Um, because if it was, boy, that would be a really sad yeah. reality for yeah. all of us. And so we really, you know, when we 
have something, knowledge or something in our possession that could really make the difference in the life of someone who's suffering, it's our responsibility to share that with them. And one of those things is to let them know that this is not God's wish for them and that God loves them and sacrificed his son for us and that there's a promise. And, And the reason why... Jesus died on the cross for us is so that all of us can be saved from the wickedness of this world. Absolutely. Yes, I think um, Paul also wrote that if our only hope is for this life, then of all people, Christians are the most to be pitied. Because we're, you know, if we're just looking at this life, then how sad is that, right? If, if, we go through this life and we have no hope beyond that. It's no wonder that someone would feel very discouraged Absolutely. because you look around, just take anything in the news. You look around and if you think that this is it, yes, right. it, it is very discouraging. So that mm-hmm. hope that is offered through um, Jesus and through what you know the Bible speaks of, I think that is very key. And, mm-hmm. and you're right. We have a responsibility to letting those who are discouraged to know mm-hmm. just what it is that keeps us going. Yeah, and you know, I also want to add that that's that's something though that is very difficult to grasp. This yes. idea that well, but why me? Why did I have to endure mm-hmm. this pain? Mm-hmm. Th- this other person didn't have to endure that. Yeah, you know, and um, that's a hard thing to overcome. But I think that one way in which we might communicate this good news also is by just being. Um, by being an example of that love that God shows us, you know? Yes. And so that, that that could give them a taste of the God that we follow, right. you know? And so I think what we do and how we interact with people and the kindness that we show and, and all the things that we could put, potentially give to people who have experienced these terrible things that you know that is a way you know to show people to for for us to be a light the the kind of light that god is for us absolutely and i've said it before on this podcast that there's a, a parable that jesus talks about you know in the end separating sheep mm-hmm. from the goats and mm-hmm. and then also saying this, these things that you did, you did them unto me. So he's like, whatever yeah. you did to the least of these, you did to me. And so there's that real strong emphasis on how we treat others. Absolutely. That whether it's, you know, he was like, you, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. Right. And, and you know, we could even, you know, go into mentally ill and, and, and you listen to me. That's you know, right. it's like these are the things that in the end matter um does doctrine matter yes does faith matter absolutely but jesus could have said anything here about how he will call people to account he could have said uh you knew the scriptures from front to back but what he focused on was how we treat others especially the least among us that's right and i find that that's very profound especially when we're talking about mental illness because if I'm dismissing people that are are not, you know, I don't perceive to be mentally stable, for me, that's God is going to call me into account and say, well, how did you treat that person? And why were you like that? When maybe I was calling you to be re- my representative in how you treated that person. That's right. Yeah, to be a representative is so key. I mean, I, I think that especially if you are not kind or if you don't go out of your way and yet they know you're uh someone who believes in god then that is like the worst case scenario because then they're saying well then i that's not the god that i want to get to know you know so god knew i mean this is why these parables and are you know so important because god knew the important role that we have in reaching people that he needs us well, he doesn't need us, but, you know, but we can be incredibly instrumental in, in bridging that gap 
especially for people who don't know God and who are suffering so much. Yeah, it's a it's a enormous privilege to be an ambassador of God. That's and right. so he takes that seriously too if we misrepresent him. That's right. If we claim uh his name as a Christian but then we ignore people who need our help. Right. Uh, that is not the way we want to go. No. So transitioning back to the film at Arthur's day job the word has spread about the fact that he was beat up by these teenagers and one of his co-workers Randall he slips him a gun to protect himself and that same gun falls out at the most inopportune time when Arthur's entertaining kids at a at a children's hospital and his boss is apoplectic and no surprise he fires Arthur so what makes it worse is that Randall lies to the boss and says that Arthur bought the gun. So, insult to injury. So the hits keep on coming when Arthur is cut off uh, by the city for funding for mm-hmm. the social worker, and he can no longer visit her social worker. He can no longer have access to his medication. So, quick sidebar on this. I was watching Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj on Netflix, and he spoke about this 2008 parody law overseen yes. by the Department of Labor, and it mandates that insurance companies treat mental health claims in the same manner as physical health claims. Yet, insurance companies deny mental health claims at twice the rate mm-hmm. of physical health claims. So, as a clinical psychologist, what's your opinion on this, Annette? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think the parity law is a definite big important step um, because mental health discrimination is alive and well. Um, It's a reality. It's a reality of our system. You know, insurance companies want to make money and they will do whatever they can and sometimes it's easiest to target those who are in need, Mm -hmm. uh, those who are most vulnerable in our communities. And, And so, but, you know, Despite that, I think that we're making progress. Um, I do think that insurance companies are being held accountable more than ever. Good. I think organizations like the American Psychiatric Association um, and other organizations similarly are coming after the insurance companies. If Good. they find that these this discrepancy is still happening and that um, individuals are not getting the resources that they need or are being turned down, um, that they are actually suing these insurance companies and and going after them. And if that's what they need to do, that's what they need to do. Um, That said, we have a long ways to go. Um, But it's, you know, acts like this that um, are making a difference and letting insurance companies know that we know this. Right. 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 No, thank you for that. It's good to know that there are some organizations that are um, holding uh, the insurance companies accountable. So this is where things in the film really take a turn for the worse. They get really dark. On the subway ride home after being fired, Arthur, he's still dressed as a clown, so he's not recognizable. He witnesses three young Wall Street guys harassing a woman. And Arthur laughs involuntarily, turning the attention of these guys to him and allowing the woman to escape the subway car at the next stop. The guys, they start kicking, mocking Arthur, and it's reminiscent of that opening scene with the teenagers. Mm -hmm. But this time, however, Arthur, he's enraged, and he uses his gun to murder all three men. Now, in my view, there's no, no defense of Arthur's actions, but and is there a way to understand his actions without also approving of them? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this scene for me was, <laughs> my heart was beating very quickly because I just knew that this was not going to be a good ending. There was just something in my heart that told me that, I think. I mean, there isn't much that can, good that can come out of three Wall Street guys who were, intoxicated Mm -hmm. and already harassing a young woman and Arthur is sitting there and Arthur is human too and he's observing how they're treating this young lady and it's triggering to him 
And so again, we don't know what his what um, mental health issues he struggles with specifically, right. you know, but we do know, I think by this point in the film that he does struggle, you know, with some, I, I think based on his relationship with Sophie, mm -hmm. you know, that he, we are picking up on the fact that he's someone that does struggle with some form of delusional disorder or psychotic disorder on top of the PBA. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and as a result, then his connection to reality is already a little bit impaired, you know? And so this is someone also who is no longer getting treatment. So right. he's not on medication. Right. And so any kind of psychosis um, that he's experiencing is, is um, really uh, present. Right. And, and so he is, my best guess is that already he's sitting there, but he's not fully in touch with reality. Mm. And so his judgment is impaired as a result because, you know, if you're getting the proper medication and the proper treatment, then you can make more, uh, better decisions for right. yourself and in relation to other people. But Arthur is someone who already has been beaten down so mm -hmm. much um, and is no longer in treatment, no longer on medication. And so he's significantly impaired at this point. And while I don't want you know, this discussion to turn into a discussion about gun control, you know, mm -hmm. I do want to say that this scene is a perfect example of why we should, should have stricter laws around putting firearms in and now of course I think it's Randall who gave him the gun right you know but again we should you know um, it's not like Arthur purchased this gun by any means but right. you know this is an example of a situation that demonstrates that when you put firearms in the hands of people right. who are struggling with the more severe mental illness who aren't necessarily getting the treatment that they need and who aren't in a position to uh, make good choices for themselves um, with, while they're in the possession, not only was he in danger of hurting others and he essentially killed these three Wall Street guys, but he's also, someone like that is also in danger of hurting themselves as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and so there's so many layers to this scene, but I think, you know, while there's no excuse for what Arthur did, that if our society helped individuals and mm -hmm. provided the resources necessary for individuals who struggle with mental health concerns, then I think this scene in particular could have uh, been very, ended very differently. Well said, well said. I think that it's tough for me because you know, I understand his emotions more than I do his actions. But then again, a lot of these things are as a, as a result of, as you said, he's not getting medication. He's not being fully supported by the system right. and by others around him. So it makes for a very complicated set of circumstances right. and sort of the worst case scenario right? where the safety nets that should be in place are not. Right. And so it's very easy for me to condemn him. Obviously, lives were lost in this scene and right. as a result of him pulling the trigger. But it's so much more complicated than that. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the that's the challenge here is how much of it is his responsibility and how much of it is the system or the lack of support that he has received. Yeah. Like, as you mentioned, he's not necessarily living in his own reality no yeah and that that's uh makes for a very complex way to to view this that's right and you someone like arthur is already paying the price right i mean what are you gonna do put this guy in prison you know what i mean like what what choices do you have you know for someone like this yes um the system has already failed him mm -hmm. and so there's not 
another system <laughs> in place um, right. where they can send Arthur because the very system that's supposed to help him failed him the first time. And so, you know, some would say real... the mental uh, institute, the the asylum. Some would say, well, maybe he should be there. Right. Instead yeah. of instead of prison, maybe the um, it's the Arkham Asylum in the yeah. film. Yeah, you know, that's another thing that I would like to point out, and that is that, you know, many years ago, um, there used to be this belief that there was no hope for people with the more severe psychiatric problems such or conditions such as like schizophrenia, mm -hmm. bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, conditions of this nature, m major depression with psychotic features, like all of these different disorders, there used to be a time when these people were just institutionalized, right? you know, and heavily medicated, and that was it. But we've come a long way in terms of our mental health system, while there is a lot of work to improve the system, that there also are a lot of resources mm -hmm. that are available actually and treatment is available for people with these more severe conditions like what Arthur might have been exhibiting I mean he at this point he's spiraling downward right right and he's yes. already you know killed three Wall Street guys but it didn't have to get to that point you mm -hmm. know and with proper treatment and medication like the system could help individuals like this and we don't need to institutionalize them. There are a lot of people who have schizophrenia who are in healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Sure, it's limited in terms of what they can do um, sometimes depending on their symptoms and how, the extent to which they're being managed. But for the most part, there's a lot of hope for people with mental health concerns as long as they're getting the treatment that they need. So, right. you know, this scenario raises all of those, uh, you know, issues. Yes, it does. It, it's complex and, you know, someone would say, well, then what about the families of the three Wall Street folks? Yeah. How, what should they expect in the way of justice? What is justice for them in, in a scenario like this? They they may not want to hear about the system mm -hmm. failed Arthur, and mm -hmm. they may not have the same empathy or or sympathy for Arthur's condition and his plight. They're looking that for someone to um, basically be held accountable for for the murders of their their sons. Right. Well, I think it's just right while their lives. They've lost their lives, and they've lost the families have lost the you know the lives of loved ones. Yes. Um, but I also think that we have to look at the whole picture, right? Yeah. You know, the truth is, is that the system not only failed Arthur, but it failed those families too. Indeed. You Indeed. know, and so I could see why the why those families would be really angry and would want justice in whatever form. Absolutely, you know. And so, so there's a lot of change that needs to happen mm -hmm. in order for these situations to be avoided. But the good news is that they can be avoided by changing laws and putting resources in the right places. Absolutely. I think... Um yeah, we could probably talk a lot about this because it, this one scene really touches on a lot of different issues. Yes. So, to the character of Arthur, what what were your personal feelings toward him up to this point in the film, and how did this scene and sequence of events change those feelings, if at all? Uh, if it's possible, I went from sad to sadder mm. yes. <laughs> to yes. like, uh, okay, what's going to happen with Arthur to, oh, man, he is really spiraling downward. Yeah. And so his, his um, things are now really just out of control. Yeah. And, and now, 
it seems as if it is beyond the point of no return, you know, for him in terms of the system, right? Because now he's either going to be put in asylum or in prison, and those are his options if he were to get caught, you know. But um, at this point in the film, I was still trying to figure out what was going on with Arthur. I was also trying to figure out also um, just, what what is reality and there's just so much that was so outrageous um and these scenes were so intent and and so i was still trying to make sense of it all and making and trying to make sense of arthur and his process (laughs) and you know and and um to what extent um was and when was he in touch with reality right. and when was he experiencing a delusion of sorts or having a psychotic episode or what have you and so i was just really trying to figure out to put all the pieces together but that was really hard yeah i think the filmmakers did a great job of yeah. just keeping the viewer you and me and yes. many other people <laughs> off balance yes to know what is mm-hmm. what is really going on here and what is wrong with with Arthur and are we the things that we're seeing are they real right they did a great job of that because I think in a way it allows the viewer to in a small way get a glimpse of what mental illness might be like yes mm-hmm. because they're not sure what is reality and they can easily create their own mm-hmm. so for me yeah I, I began in the film to pity him as a product of societal neglect. After this scene, though, I started looking at him as a danger to the community well, and to himself. It, yeah, absolutely. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he did. He crossed that line, and now the things that were in his head, now he's starting to act out on them. And I, I saw that as really a, a dangerous turning point. And I don't know if I pitied him as much, but I definitely felt that he was not being, his needs as a person with mental challenges were not being met. Yeah. And that to me, it was a tragedy. Yeah. Well, what we also know, for example, with Arthur, what we know for people who have some form of a a psychotic disorder or is experiencing delusions is that what appeared over time was that it seemed as if um, Arthur was experiencing some sense of paranoia, too, at some point. And he was also developing, well, I know we'll get to this, I don't want to get ahead, but a sense of grandiosity about him, too. And what we know about the the combination of those two can be can lead to really devastating things and and that's where you know um, violence comes mm-hmm. into the picture mm-hmm. um, it's so complicated because I feel like in a lot of ways you know at this point in the film we then move away from having compassion for people with mental illness to now transitioning to well now he's violent Yes. You know, I find and myself so, on that spectrum. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a part of me that was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, let's go back to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, seeing what we can do for someone like this. But. Yeah. So, as you know, two of the most revered characters in the Bible, Moses yeah. and David, were both murderers. And God said David was a man after his own heart. So should that change the way we look at someone like Arthur? And if so, how? Listen, (laughs) who are we to judge? I mean, we only know about the lives of uh, David and Moses and, you know, through what we've read in the Bible. Right. But it's God who truly knows their heart. And what we do know... And and this is also what's so incredible about the God that we believe in is that what we know is that it you can do the most horrible, horrific, 
things like for whatever reason whether it's due to mental illness or whether it's you know you've made some really poor choices or because you were born into a certain class and you know there's so many reasons why people engage in violence and do really awful things or you've been uh, abused yourself and you know and then you end up being a perpetrator as a result of your own childhood abuse or what have you because everyone's got a story Right. You know, everyone has got a story. But, you know, God created us for good. And and what we do know is that um, grace is a gift that we've been given. And, um, and so for people like David and Arthur, I, you know, I, with David, we know that he repented. Yes. And he asked for forgiveness. He asked for it. And that's all that God is asking us to do. <laughs> to just ask for forgiveness. To acknowledge our sins and to ask for forgiveness. That's it. Um, and as long as we do that, no matter how awful we might have been, that we're forgiven. And that's it. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. And so... You know, all of us as human beings, we're, our sinful natures, we're like, well, no, that's more horrific than this, you know. And right. so, well, right. you know, David killed somebody, so, you know, he doesn't deserve, yeah. you know, to be highly regarded in this way by God. That's really confusing. But we don't understand that. No. Because we don't have the ability to, to see in people's hearts in the way that God sees each of us. And so, and he knows our story. And, you know, and, and as a psychologist, I see this every day in my practice. Mm. Like, people have done things that they truly regret, but there's always a story. There's a reason behind the behaviors. And, um, and we live in a sinful world where, you know, a lot of terrible things happen to terrible people. And, um, but ultimately, as long as we ask for forgiveness, and that's, again, this, that's where we can be so instrumental in the life of someone like Arthur. Right. If Arthur walked into the, through the front doors of Church of the Advent Hope on a particular Sabbath, yes. like, we have a responsibility to convey this news to him. Yes. You know? And, and as long as Arthur can see God mm -hmm. and all of his promises and you know because I believe that you know again even Arthur has parts of him that are good for sure, right? for sure. and so to um, that all of us have the capacity to I mean so anyway um, as long as we ask for forgiveness, mm -hmm. um, we it's going to be okay. Yeah. And God promises that, and so that's my reaction to to you know I my mom always said you know that we'll be surprised who we see in heaven. <laughs> I, I, that's a wise that's and, a wise uh, saying. And you know, and because we don't know everyone's story, and so if God has essentially said that this is how he regards David. I mean, that's a perfect example of how God is such a forgiving, compassionate God that David killed somebody. After yet, sleeping with the man's wife. Well, exactly. Infidelity. In fact, he, he like covered a, up, he tried to cover up the um, adultery yes, with having her, her husband killed. Shall not commit adultery. It's a right. commandment. It's a mandate. So, and right? thou shall not kill, and thou shalt not thou shall I mean, not there's kill. so many things that he. Like all of these things, right? And despite it's laid out, the Ten Commandments. Right. And it doesn't mean that we can just break them, you know? Correct. But God knows our hearts and He knows our sincerity, He knows our desires. And if we genuinely. And in a tra in the most transparent way, come to him and ask for forgiveness. Will be, he will grant that to us. Yeah. He says that he will. He wants that of us. Yeah. No person is outside the reach of God's grace. That's and right. It doesn't mean that there shouldn't be consequences for actions. 
Well, even David experienced consequences. He experienced consequences, right? right? And in this world, we will experience consequences, as Arthur has ex- had experienced and Arthur consequences. Experienced consequences as well. But right. it does mean that each person has the potential to be transformed by Absolutely. the love of Christ. Absolutely. And so some of that starts with us. As you mentioned, if yes. Arthur walked in, his first experience with God could I say is through us. That's a, exactly How we right. Treat him. That's exactly right. And if we right. accept him, then he's open to understanding more about the God that we claim to represent. Right. If we reject him, that's right. then that's kind of his opinion of God as well. Right. And I think that's why Arthur was so mesmerized by Sophie. Yes. Because she, you know, she was kind to him. Like, you know, he, she didn't. She didn't treat him negatively or mock him or shoo him away like most of the people in his life. Right. And uh, and so and he's longing for that connection as we all long for that connection. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is actually a good place to pause. There's been a lot to discuss in this first segment, which is actually now part one of No Joke. But do not despair. There will be a part two with Dr. Annette Santiago España talking about Joker. For now, I'll say to all our listeners, thank you for listening. Find us, rate us on Apple Podcast app, visit us at thingscreen.org, or download the podcast feed from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Evidence of Things Screened and click subscribe. Thank you. We will be back with part two of No Joke for Evidence of Things Screened. Until then, this is Lincoln Alabaster. Keep your faith up. Evidence of Things Screened is an Advent Hope Ventures production in association with Church of the Advent Hope, a Seventh-day Adventist community on the Upper East Side of Manhattan in New York City. Go to adventhope.org for more information. Evidence of Things Green is produced by Todd Stout, Tony Sebro, and Lincoln Alabaster, with technical assistance from Nicholas Zork, Roberto Rutherford, Dwight Francis, and Jim Bogusky. Music provided by Jaw Rockin' Productions. <laughs> <laughs>